Welcome everyone. I'm joined by Louise from Mrs. E's Luxuries. So hi, hi. Louise. Hi, yeah, uh, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> pleased you could join me. So um, do you, you want to just say a little bit about your blog and you know how you got into Austin? Yeah, so Mrs. E's Luxuries actually um, was, it was born, if you will, when I was on my honeymoon in early September 2018 and it was a case that I've always had an interest in like the feel-good luxuries in life throughout my entire life and I thought why not just combine social media that I really enjoyed connecting with people and sharing what I'm up to to the luxuries that you find in life because I believe that everybody deserves to have that sense of luxury in life and with regards to Austin to me that's that's an added luxury to me to be able to have that sense of I guess it's English culture isn't it that's Jane Austen has shaped so much with regards to literature and I was introduced to it by my best friend actually back when I was 14 I want to say and she introduced me to Pride and Prejudice the 2005 film so I guess it was that kind of introduction into what Austin's world was about and then I actually was gifted some books some gorgeous books I've actually got my Emma one here uh, with the Victoria and Albert covers from one of my grandparents and from then I was hooked yeah that's such a lovely gift I love that I've got the Emma one here oh wow no I love that that's a wonderful way to get into it in um it's so nice yeah. that like with a friend as well I love that I know yeah the fact that actually my my upbringing was more Disney because my mum is a massive Disney fan so it was all very much focused on on that and I actually got my mum into Austin and I bought her a Pride and Prejudice pin with like bonnets and piano oh. fortes and things like that yeah so the fact that she got into Austin as well was really lovely because she'll comment something on Facebook and tag me in it with like a Pride and Prejudice or Emma Meme. The community is so great in general. Like when I started my Instagram, I had no idea how big the kind of Bookstagram, like Jane I community was. It's just been yeah. amazing. I've met so many great people like herself. And I just love that. I just made so many great friends through it. So it's definitely, yeah, the, the community to be in for sure. So like force, um, <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah, forced to be reckoned with. <laughs> So today um, we thought we'd focus on the 2009 adaptation of Emma. So, I mean, this is my favourite adaptation of Emma. And I know that this is kind of your first introduction to it because you watched it quite recently, didn't you? Yeah, so I went to go see the 2020 film last year. And uh, I mean, I read Emma when I was 17 and hadn't really touched base with it since. I watched clips of the um, Gwyneth Paltrow version and... Um, the 2020 version came out and oh, the aesthetics in that one is just gorgeous. And right. the, the storyline follows as well. I know, just the, the costumes, oh my God, just so pretty, all the pastels and everything. Um, so yeah, the 2009 version literally just uh, just this week. So when you reached out saying that you were doing this podcast, um, asking me to, to come along and uh, talk to you about it, I couldn't say no, obviously. <laughs> could not say no so having this first look into the 2009 version which to be fair I didn't really know was around I think I must have seen a picture of it somewhere but yeah this is my first watch so it was nice to watch a different adaptation with almost fresh eyes still knowing the storyline but seeing it from from a different angle if you will I guess 
Right. And the beauty with this one is it's split up into episodes like the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice, which means you can get so much more detail in. Um, And I I think when they split them into the episodes, they do follow the book much more closely because they've got the time to. I think that's a massive, a massive thing. Especially to those actually who aren't maybe fans or not really know the storylines of Jane's work, that it's actually a better adaptation to to watch to get that that fuller story totally agree right absolutely yeah if you've got an essay on Emma and you've not read the book watch this adaptation (laughs) (laughs) yeah I agree (laughs) oh dear so I thought we could run through um how the different actors portray the roles how we think they you bring the characters to life if they do a good job or not I thought we could start with now we we did have a difficulty with this with how we pronounce her name but we're going with (laughs) Romola. Let's go with it's Romola. Really, yeah, Romola. It's really hard. It is quite difficult. Yes, if, if you're watching, we're very sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I love her version of Emma so much. It's um it's exactly when I was reading when I read the book, she is who I saw, probably in yeah. appearance and in personality. Um yeah, the only the only thing that I have with it is I don't think she's necessarily playful enough at the beginning of the of oh, yeah. the um so maybe the first two episodes I say she's maybe not playful enough of how I envision Emma to be because I do envision her to be quite a playful character. Um yeah. maybe borderline cheeky. Uh, she's um, very yeah. confident in herself, isn't she, to just be who she is. And yeah, no, I totally agree. I definitely think. Romola's I'm trying to make sure that I say it right I definitely think Romola's version is is the closest to I agree how I envisioned Emma I found that Gwyneth Paltrow's one in the was it 96 I want to say 96 that was her <gasps> version was of it Emma. 96 oh my goodness I want to say it's 96 yeah it's definitely because in the early 90s there was that big like Jane Austen like Pride and Prejudice Emma and I think even persuasion I don't know that might have been a yeah, little bit even later. one of the sense and sensibilities may have come out yes, as well yes. yeah. oh, how can we forget that's got um Emma oh my Thompson gosh Emma Thompson yeah I'm gonna forget Emma Thompson's surname I'm mortified <laughs> mortified and uh, Kate Winslet and the late great Alan Rickman as well yes. yeah it seemed like the early 90s was the um <laughs> like almost another era of Austenites coming through. It's just I found that Gwyneth Paltrow's one, I think she was a bit too reserved for me for that one, like the clips that I've seen. Um, And then you've got Anna Taylor-Joy for the 2020 version. I thought she was spectacular. I mean, she was immaculate, but I want to say almost too immaculate. Do you know what I mean? I think she comes across maybe a little bit too pompous. Considering yes. this is a yes, it's an heiress. This is an heiress of a small town, so I feel like that comes with less pompousness. You know what I mean? Yes. This isn't somebody who's grown up in London and also in an estate. This is somebody who's yeah. stayed in this town village her entire life, which All I think life. exactly. So I think that comes with a sense of well, it's lack of exposure for one, but um, mm. I think there's something maybe not quite right but she is she is perfection isn't it maybe it's too much perfection like she wouldn't yeah. have had the exposure to be that perfect <laughs> but bring, I guess it's a bit like where Mr Weston's saying oh what two letters describe perfection and where he says like the M and the A because of Emma and that's just right after she insults Miss Bates um, and how that's that's not perfection really and also what is perfection right like, what is perfection 
And I think the main thing about Emma is that, because there's a line, I think, that, that is it Mr. Knightley says, and she was full, uh, faultless despite all her faults. Yeah. And I love that. But that is Emma. Like, she isn't perfect. She does have hmm. faults and you know she she quite often says the wrong thing and offends people I don't I don't think to hurt them but I think she just says speaks her mind that's just who she is and she's got she's in the position to do that and I think um really captures that in the way that she does it like she yes offends people and it's in like a quick moment but then you can see the pain for doing that like she doesn't just offend people and she's all okay with that no no the fact that Emma is that she's been brought up to care for her father she obviously cares for her old governess who gets married to Mr Weston there is that love there it's not a case that she's completely heartless uh but yeah she definitely says the wrong things and doesn't necessarily think about what she's saying but then again I don't think Frank Churchill was help if I'm perfectly honest he wasn't very helpful <laughs> in that situation no. whatsoever no absolutely not it. Yeah, I think they bring out the worst in one another um, because they're so similar. I think that is why, though. I think they are so similar that they bring out too much of their playful side, too much of their flirtation, too much of their um, behaviours that it's just like they don't see the consequences anymore. No, no. And I think also because Emma's quite young, really, isn't she? She's one in 20. the fact that she also said that she's not interested in getting married either. She's quite happy to pair off other people. It almost gives me the impression that she thinks she knows people better than, I don't know, maybe she knows herself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think that's, that is the case. And I mean, as the story progresses, we realize that even more, like she's so quick to try and understand other people's love life, but she, Mm -hmm absolutely does not understand her own she's so oblivious to it that it's almost a shock when she does realize (laughs) where her heart lies I love Um, that realization though when she does realize that she's in love with George Knightley that that face and that internal in um internal monologue that she has in the 2009 version which kind of reminded me of Clueless a bit you know when she um like oh well if he's going to marry anybody then it's going to be me and it reminds me of in Clueless when Cher's like, oh, I'm in love with Josh, who obviously is the um, the adaptation of Knightley. It's like, oh, oh, I, I'm in love with him. Oh, it's me. OK. And that, that sudden like, oh, I thought that was really sweet, actually, watching them fall in love. Well, what do you think of his portrayal? Who is it? It's Johnny Lee Miller, isn't it? What do you think of his portrayal of Knightley? Um, I think there was that perfect balance of banter that he brings because you've got this inner circle where his brother married Emma's sister so naturally you've got that family banter witty banter bouncing off one another which I absolutely loved because I guess that's one of the reasons why they do end up falling for each other is because they mesh so well mesh so well together and they're comfortable in each other's company 
I thought he was very good looking, don't get me wrong. <laughs> he was very, <laughs> very easy to watch. But yeah, the only thing that got me was, was the thought of he's supposed to be older because he does say when the nephews and nieces are over and they're holding baby Emma, something like that, something to do with um, when she was a baby. Right, absolutely. And how he, because I think he basically like helped school her when she was like younger as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he must have been you know, at least in his older teenage years when she was kind of a child, which yeah. is definitely quite a big age gap. So there's 16 um, years difference between them, if I'm if I'm right. He's supposed to be right. like 37 and, and she's 21. Right, and you wouldn't see that in the way they're portrayed. Although I feel like she looks a lot older as well. Not a lot mm. older, but maybe she doesn't look 21, I'd say. I, I, I like Knightley in the sense that he is he's so different to Emma but he's like exactly what she needs at the same time like he's so calm he gives her the space to be who she is and then only ever tells her in private like look you've made a mistake here I'm going to tell you like this is how it is I think you're in the wrong yeah but he He always embarrassed her as a result but he doesn't Right, because it's not in his nature, because he's so much more mature than she is, but also because he doesn't necessarily have that playful side of him. He's kind of, he's what brings her back down to kind of a neutral level. Together, they make the perfect pair. You know, Absolutely. alone, maybe he'd be too boring. And maybe when she's alone, obviously, <laughs> she makes the mistakes of being too out there. So yeah. um, together, I think they make a good match. But that obviously brings us back to the fact that Frank Churchill and Emma are so similar. They are so playful. Mm. They're so kind of boisterous and obviously Frank has Jane to to balance him out <laughs> oh it, I tell you what he mm, when you first meet him it's almost the false impression that you get with George Wickham in Pride and Prejudice it's like oh handsome man hello and then later on it's like oh maybe not so nice because the whole he leads I feel like he leads Emma on so much and then you've got what did I put down so you've got Emma you've got Jane you've got Harriet as well for a moment and it's all just very it just it seems just a little bit like playboyish so he's yes he's an heir isn't he um his aunt is very ill and he is going to inherit this wonderful house um but he I feel like he he leads the women a lot quite a lot Frank is absolutely um a, a character that I can see as a real person like I actually mm. have known people with his personality type and it's yes they make really good friends because they're fun and you know flirtatious etc but oh my gosh the way he treats Jane is just oh I know a lot of people feel a lot more angry about it than I do I, I I'm sure because I do appreciate him as a friend as a friend he's not my friend but I would have probably appreciated him as a friend no the fact that he he infuriates me where he says about Jane's hair at the ball so he uh, he's sent this piano forte which no one knows about as of yet he's doing all of this like this flirtation under the under the um, radar if you will and then he's like, oh, yeah, her hair. And like go, go, trying to be on board with Emma and they're picking on her. I know that Emma had spent, what, all of her life being compared to Jane Fairfax, which 
I know she's quite confident in herself, but at the same time, even the most confident of women, if they're being compared to another woman constantly, and Miss Bates doesn't do it out of spite or anything. It's just, oh, my niece, Jane Fairfax, look what she's done. She's she's a proud aunt, isn't she? But still, to be compared to, it's like, oh, I'm going to stoop to a lower level and pick on the fact that Jane's hair is not agreeable at the moment. I was like, hang on a second, this is not okay, especially when it's revealed later that, they've been engaged for some time so honestly you could not write it. it's unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> when it comes out you're just like what you think that anybody could have been engaged to her but him because of how he treats her like yeah. I, you could keep the engagement a secret without being nasty about it but he feels the need to push it to make it so it looks like he would never even consider her an option like he has to push it to the extremes and I just don't I just like why why was that necessary surely indifference would make make you feel more like he wasn't interested as opposed to actively being horrible about it I mean if someone was that horrible about someone to me all the time I'd be like hang on a second why are you kind of fixated on this person (laughs) yeah especially with someone's hair but also the fact that with this version of of Frank it's I don't know there's something more boyish about him than the others in a more fun sense and then you've got was it Ewan McGregor who played Frank in the 96 version I want to say yes um he's a bit more flirtatious I find and then with the 2021 he's a bit more oh I want to say he, he's more of a play playboy comes across yeah, more playboy to me I think in the yes yes of course there is this Frank in I think the, the Frank in the 2009 one is very similar to the Frank in the book. And I think he's a different type of villain mm-hmm. in the sense that you don't see him as a villain. Like, because no. yes, he does bad things, but it's, oh, you still, you don't hate him. Like you can't no. hate him. He's that person. You just like, oh gosh, you, no. you do bad stuff, but likeable. everyone will always forgive you. Yeah. He's just likable. Yeah. Absolutely. He's likable. He doesn't commit the same crime, if you will, as what George Wickham does. I mean, he takes Lydia away and everything runs away with her. It's not like he's, taken off somebody and run away with them but at the same time you still got the whole Jane Fairfax thing it's like you're engaged and yet you're like flirting with other women pick one Frank just one and and go with it like surely if you're in love with someone you you follow your heart and that's it you you know but he seems almost indecisive then Jane who's she's more reserved compared to Emma isn't she she's more I guess anyway, a little bit like nightly, like where you say she's quite relaxed. <laughs> in that in that sense, is um, she couldn't speak up for herself. She can't expose no. the fact that they're engaged, so she has to just sit there and endure it. But even if, even if, say, it wasn't a secret, she still probably wouldn't speak up because it wouldn't be decent to do. Do you know what I mean? For her to like yeah. expose him in front of everyone, like, oh my gosh, Frank, you're a terrible person. It's just. <laughs> She just wouldn't do it because she's not that type of person. So I think he picks no. the worst person to kind of secretly humiliate. Obviously, no one mm. knows he's humiliating her, but for her, it must feel infuriating. If she has to, especially the Box Hill scene, but she has to sit there and watch him flirt. Like he says stuff like, um, from the first moment I met with Miss Woodhouse, I found her like irresistible or something like that. And oh. Can you imagine being can sat imagine? there? This is the person you're engaged to. <laughs> I can imagine Miss E doing that. No, no, he wouldn't. wouldn't, No, exactly. My Mr. E is very much a. If I was to pick out of all the Jane Austen men, I'd say he's he's a cross between like a Darcy and a Bingley. Really, actually, I think Knightley. 
is a cross between a Darcy and a Bingley. Darcy and a Bingley. He's, he's very much a nightly. Um, but yeah, being engaged to someone and you're watching them openly flirt with other women. Yeah, and poor Jane is just that having, like you said, having to sit there and endure it. Just like, okay. I know for a fact I wouldn't put up with it. I mean, I know Jane does. I'm I'm definitely not, I've not got the personality of Jane. I would be absolutely not for that whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on a second. What are you doing? Literally. uh, Yeah, I'd be kicking him off the hill, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Frank. and saying that I know that your your partner's called Mr E that's how we we refer to him but there's another Mr E who's not quite Mm -hmm. so charming (laughs) Mr Elton oh my days this what is it about clergymen honestly what is it about clergymen in Jane Austen's novels where they have to be borderline slimy right they're so slimy all of the I mean Mr Elton in this version is very good looking all of them are good looking all of those right this is this is Blake Ritson it is yes so well this Mr Elton is wonderful to look at and then you've got um the Mr Collinses who are a little less inclined to admire Uh, you've got this this Mr Elton who's just, just so lovely to look at but at the same time he's so like the whole proposal thing and getting in the same carriage. I don't know about <gasps> you, but I just sit there. I, I think every version, I just sit there and go, it's <laughs> like, oh, Emma, get out of there now. Go. Oh my God, <laughs> this this version makes me laugh so much. When she's like, um, <laughs> should be written in the stars. I was literally there, uh, just like, oh my gosh, kill me right now. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> I just can't with the because of the whole snow thing as well there's already chaos with the Christmas Eve party at the Westerns and and snow and the fact that poor Mr Woodhouse whenever something happens where a draft is involved or someone could be in danger that's that's it and it's perfectly understandable because his wife tragically died but um, at the same time you've got that chaos going on and then didn't wasn't Emma supposed to go with her brother-in-law and then he was like no 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 you 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 go with Mr. Elton. She's like, mm. it's almost like, where are you going? Yeah, she's like, John, what, <laughs> why are you leaving me with him? <laughs> I'm leaving here. But yeah, and the fact that he crosses over and sits next to her and her face, Romana's face, like her, the skill act, he's just like. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> open mouth, like. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. When she's like, let go of my hamster and sit over there. <laughs> and then they kind of, the way they shift, it's like, first it's on, they're sitting directly opposite. Then he has the audacity to come along and sidle over. What is it about with the clergyman as well? They always misunderstand a woman saying no as a, uh, oh, I don't actually mean no, you know? And how, like, oh, I'm proposing to you and I'm being, I'm being so romantic and we're meant to be together and the the protagonist is like no <laughs> no no you completely misunderstand my meaning and it's like oh yeah but that's oh, that's only for me to to like you even more no I, I mean no there's no way I'm accepting the proposal and then the fact that suddenly has to go all the way to the other end of the of the cast and just sit there so awkward rumbling along just to get back home oh, just... oh it is so <laughs> awkward in the fact that obviously for Emma she 
totally intended Mr. Elton to be for Harriet. And when she's yeah. like, um, oh, you know, you're already attached to Harriet. And he's like, what? And then he goes, I couldn't care less if she lived or died. <laughs> How awful is that? And also the fact that he's incredibly mean to her later um, in the ball. So you've got Mrs. Elton who is like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to dance. And then she goes to, and he goes to ask uh, Mrs. Weston and she's pregnant. And she's like, mm, not today. And saying, oh, what about Miss Taylor over there? And he goes, oh, I'm a married man now. Suddenly changes his mind on the spot. It's like, I'm a married man now. I'm, I'm not inclined to dance. Oh, right. He's so sleazy. <sighs> he's like, and also he's got some sort of superiority complex, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, obviously he, he's got position in the sense that he's a clergyman in the parish, but mm-hmm. I don't know where this, um, like inflated ego comes from it's the most bizarre thing or even the fact that he thinks Emma would marry him isn't that in the sense just weird as it as a whole anyway like I, I just don't understand where he gets the idea from and surely he must see that she's just being perfectly nice there's no romanticism in her character towards Mr Elton whatsoever and the the fact that he He's saying, "Oh yeah, with the with the likeness that she makes of um, of Harriet, and she appears to be quite attentive to to Harriet." And then Emma's like, "Well, why would you even think that I'm interested in you?" Right? Clergyman just and the fact that Jane Austen's father was a clergyman, wasn't he? He was. Yes. I must say he was a vicar. So I don't know where her world of her novels, where the clergymen are quite odd insufferable yeah yeah and, and creepy yeah and I don't know I have no idea how how that came about because I I normally get the impression that authors when they write characters um they more or less base it off people they know and love or maybe know and maybe not so keen on but um I thought she had a pretty good relationship with her father and I then think... suddenly the clergyman I think it maybe speaks to her humour because I think she's such a sarcastic person. I can imagine she'd <laughs> she'd write those kind of characters just to be funny, like, oh look, here's a clergyman like you done. He's but he's really creepy and like such a weirdo. Dad, I have written this character based on your profession. He's a little bit sleazy and a bit creepy. I think if I wrote something about my dad, he'd be like, Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. No, another, I, I tell you what, another uh, Mr. Allerton scene that, that really gets me in this adaptation is when, when Harriet and Emma are painting outside and yeah. he goes oh. over and says like, oh yes, it's very nice. And then Emma runs over after, looks at Harriet's painting and goes, <laughs> she was like, what did he say to you? He says, oh, my painting's coming along nicely. And Emma looks at it and she's like, oh, he must really <laughs> love you then. Cause you can just tell her by her face that it's because the painting's awful, but he said it's good. She's like, wow, he must really love you because <laughs> yeah. that's terrible. <laughs> I, mean, I think this is where the whole misconception of who likes who. Jane Austen, she's, she was so good at, leading audiences along and who ends up with who and can I just say to the audience members that my Mr E is nothing like (laughs) Mr E and Jane Austen's Emma (laughs) my Mr E is definitely nicer more a Mr Knightley than anybody else and I hope that I'm nothing like Mrs Elton because I find her quite insufferable mm, oh my yes. I could not bear that woman she would drive me up the wall I would feel like Emma that 
you know, when you've got the cutaways and she's like, oh, I'll organize everything. Women are better at organizing everything. I'm like, oh, slow down. She's just so... <laughs> when she rocks up on the donkey. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's almost like hoity-toity, but she's, I want to say she's new money. She approaches herself. It's almost like I am better than everybody else here. And I've just got married as well. So everyone should worship me. And even when um, they're playing that game saying, oh, tell me what you're thinking, where Frank's like, oh, Miss Woodhouse wants to know what everybody's thinking. Um, You've got Knightley, who's very reserved again, is like, "Uh, are you sure you want to know what everyone's thinking? And then... (laughs) You've got um, Miss Bates, bless her, who's like, oh, I, I, I can think of these several things. Like, I don't know, like how the clouds like move and everything, and how they change. And she's really well. And then you got, then you got Mrs. Alice, who's like, oh, I don't tell anybody what I'm thinking, despite the fact that she's a proper. She always does. <laughs> she's gobby, isn't she? And then she's like, oh, I don't tell everyone what I'm thinking, as if she's trying to have this air of mysteriousness. I don't know, but yeah, her as a character, it's like you want to draw breath. Don't, the fact that she's talking you want to go <gasps> yeah it's, uh, <laughs> she definitely I think for entertainment purposes she's she's a good character but at the same time with those two together as a couple oh, oh just grim the, the sleaziest of couples I think oh. Mrs Elton does a good job of the first trigger for Emma even though she still doesn't realize she likes Mr Knightley I love that scene yeah. where she's like um, especially in this version where she's storming off and she's like, Nightly, Nightly, I've known him all in my life and even I do call him that. <laughs> yeah. Again, that internal monologue, I think that's what is so wonderful and different about this Emma adaptation compared to the other ones is because you, I think it's more personal to Emma, like her, her storyline um, compared to the other adaptations because you see, um, especially in the 2020 version, you've got more of the relationship with Harriet and oh my goodness what's his name the one she ends up getting married to Robert Martin that's the one yeah there's in the 2020 version you've got more of that whereas this one I felt like there was more it was more to do with Emma and the world through her eyes as opposed to the other tidbitty bits um, around her right and the internal monologue is refreshing in this one because it's more personal and I think it's more real as well because I think when we get angry, we sometimes go, and we just start almost like talking to ourselves. But yeah, the fact that she flops on the bed is like, I don't even call him that. I wonder if that's jealousy as well, because she has that friendship relationship going on with George Knightley. And then all of a sudden, Mrs. Elton pops along. It's like, who are you? <laughs> right, are you? exactly. You from? Yeah, I think that is like the first step that she becomes aware of her relationship to Mr. Knight, even if she doesn't realize that it's a romantic one at that point, her like long friendship with him becomes so relevant to her when Mrs. Elton turns up and she's like <laughs> trying to say, well, this and that and Knightley. And she's like, you don't know him. I know him. <laughs> I think the, like you were saying about the interior monologue, I think, and the fact that it comes from Emma's um, viewpoint, I think that's so important for the character itself though, because this is Emma, this is Emma's world. The point of the book is that she has been so isolated. This is all she knows. And the way that she behaves is a product of her upbringing. So I think the fact that this shows it everything from her perspective is so relevant. The the world of of Highbury, that's that's her. You're absolutely right. When you said earlier about her um, 
she doesn't have to worry about money, does she? It's not like other Jane Austen characters where they have to marry in order to be secure. She's she's fully secure. And actually, you've almost got that futuristic feminist of her being perfectly happy, not wanting to marry. And then actually, at the end, you've got George Knightley moving in with her to Hartfield instead of yeah. saying at Donwell, which I actually, it that struck me when I first was introduced to to Emma is the fact that you you've got the man moving in with the woman which back then is that it was the other way around like if you wanted to be secure in life you had to get married and there was that pressure to to find someone to marry of wealth right I think he's he's so secure in his position like Mm. do you mean in general like he is so secure in his position that he can just be like I'll just move in there with you because he's he's got the respect of the town anyway I think that's maybe what he dislikes about Frank Churchill Frank Churchill goes around just doing this and that without any consequences whereas Knightley is so particular about how he presents himself how he cares for people like obviously like Robert Martin's one of his tenant farmers and he's so kind to him and you know he wanted him to marry Harriet saw it was a good match etc so I think he he is just the better man really isn't he but I think Frank definitely gets his feathers all riled up um, which is understandable because Frank does just do as he pleases and it like it has no consequences obviously in the end I mean in the end it doesn't seem to have any consequences either he hardly loses no, anything does how it, no but it's funny how it all turns out right people pairing up with I guess who they were meant to be with who complements the other so you've got the Eltons they complement each other the Westerns bless them they're just so like they're so sweet aren't they they, they give Mr. me Western. Mr and Mrs Gardener vibes Yes, yes. Oh, I love those two. Um, weird to say that because you've got Mr. Weston who is in Downton Abbey, and then you've got the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. You've got Mrs. Gardner who is in Downton Abbey as well. And um, it's almost <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's almost the the second parental figures to the main character, isn't it? Yeah, Miss Taylor was, when she's the governess, yeah, Taylor, and then she becomes Mrs. Weston. Yeah, that's it. And the fact that she she was with Emma for most of her life. And then you've got Mr. Weston who plays honorary father almost. Yeah. And I think I think the whole Emma Frank thing was just like a thought that had happened since they were younger because they'd been in the same yeah. year group or whatever. <laughs> like they were born yeah. at a similar time. And then it was like, oh, they'll be destined to be together because he gets taken off and obviously becomes a gentleman and she obviously mm-hmm. is an heiress and they both have property, et cetera. So I think it was just kind of a natural assumption that they would be together but yeah. because they're so similar they almost come across like siblings as opposed to people that mm. could be together romantically it'd be an absolute nightmare can you imagine the two of them together they cause chaos I no, can't I even imagine I think as well <laughs> that they wouldn't work out because something that's so important to Emma which also brings her back down to reality as a father played by Michael Gambon. My, yes, of course, oh, Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Oh, I tell you, anything that has Michael Gambon's name against it, you know it's going to be a good one. You right, but how different. I feel like his portrayal is so different. He's so frail, so... Yes. He's, yeah. he's like hypochondria. And oh, then um, I feel like that's very, very different and very, very different to the 2020 version where he's oh, still quite... Yeah up he's still like you know can still do stuff I mean one of the first yeah, scenes he jumps agile. down the stairs yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah <laughs> but yeah Michael Gambon's 
adaptation he he is definitely more more frail I think when I when I first read Emma I took him as I I guess I kind of just imagined him as just a very melancholy older man because he's lost his wife and he's he he's very like I said very much a hypochondriac he doesn't he doesn't want to be too rash with anything he doesn't want to necessarily go to balls and all that because he's scared that something bad might happen but he wants Emma to stay with him as well once she his worst nightmare is her getting married and I feel like this adaptation really plays on that that he especially at the end when she runs to to Nightly's house and she's like crying and she's like he's worried about this all of his life like I can't leave him and then you got George who's he's that comforting the comforting side of the relationship and the fact that he like we said earlier he's willing to give up living at Donwell to come and live with her and and Mr Woodhouse um but what do you think of the the father-daughter relationship compared to Isabella and Mr Woodhouse and then you've got Emma and Mr Woodhouse so different it's so so different like obviously he still cares for Isabella and is concerned for her safety but the relationship between Emma and Mr Woodhouse is oh I just think it's a beautiful father-daughter relationship like obviously it is quite limiting for Emma in the sense that she can't do anything at fear of worrying him too much but I don't think it's toxic Mm. I think it's mutual affection she wants to care for him and he Mm -hmm. loves to be around her um I think in the book the only reason why they they wouldn't be content together is because he doesn't have enough playfulness I think that's what they say like he's not playful enough obviously he's not got the youth that Emma has to to be a companion to her but yeah, and the she, fact that Emma is the youngest daughter as well, protectiveness there as well as like, don't need me. <laughs> right, exactly. And he's always saying like, why would Emma want to go anywhere? She's mistress, <laughs> of, you know, mistress of Harfield. This is, this is her world. She's got everything she could ever want. But Mr. Mr. Knightley's always there for Mr. Woodhouse as well. Do you know what I mean? Like all yeah. the way through, like he sits with him. They are, I mean, they're cl- seriously close family friends. Like it's, I think that's a nice relationship that we don't see in a lot of Austin is that no. there's like actually amongst you know the landed gentry that there are these connections that they they form strong friendships yeah. I mean maybe Mr Dietley Mr Bingley that's you know is another example of that I love those friendships I really do yeah. I think it's like the it dynamic. takes right it takes somebody you have the same situation to you to fully understand you and yeah. um I think that really shows in in this version of Emma it's so heartwarming to think about the father-daughter relationships that are presented in there and I guess it makes me feel sorry for Mr. Weston because obviously Frank gets, he's sent away. And right, that, they really emphasise that in this son, one as well. Yeah, the they? whole father-son relationship is, it seems almost cracked because he had to be sent away. And then you've got Mr. Weston, bless him, he gets quite defensive in that one scene. Oh, I can't remember what episode it was, but when, <gasps> it, when Emma says, says about oh is he even does he even exist kind of thing again it's that whole word vomit thing is like oh, saying and then you almost see the hurt in Mr Weston's face and he's like no no well, he's, how he's quick is she here. to mend it how quick is she to mend it That's and that true. shows the difference between her and Frank I think Emma does Absolutely. not intentionally hurt people she she no. also the, the time when she realizes that Mr Alton likes her over Harriet she goes to Harriet and she's like crying and she's holding Harriet's hand and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like Harriet yeah. and her are not equals, but in that moment they are. Like Emma does not mm. 
Emma doesn't turn up to her house like I'm an heiress and I'm just going to tell you that he liked me over you. Like she's she's no, mortified. No. This is her friend. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's and what separates her and Frank. Well. After she's <sighs> insulted Miss Bates and then after George has said, look, what you've done, what you did there was wrong. And she realises that and she goes to mend ways. And I think what was lovely in the scene leading up to her going to apologise to Miss Bates, you've got the town of Highbury judging her. Like you've got, for one part, you've got the whole town respecting Emma and the wood houses and everything. And then suddenly she she insults Miss Bates on this one occasion and suddenly they turn quite sour towards her. And you see that in that slow motion walk and the whole very creatively done. But the fact that Emma is so sure of herself to be able to have her hands up and go, yeah, what I did there was completely wrong. I am ready to mend ways. She doesn't burn bridges. She doesn't think that she's better than anyone really she she knows she identifies the fact that what she did and said was wrong and I think that says a lot about her especially as a 21 year old because I don't know about most 21 year olds if they do something that's quite rash they probably just go oh I feel bad about that but I can't say that I'm sorry because that admits that I've done something wrong whereas Emma she's very much despite the fact that she's really young she goes yep okay I'm in the wrong let's see what I can do to mend it Right. Well, I'd say it's the period of time where you start to build that side of yourself. And I mm. think that's, that is absolutely what Emma's about. I think some people misinterpret her sometimes and a lot of people really dislike her as a character, but I think they totally misunderstand the kind of character she is. She's somebody who grows within her own novel. She, do you know what I mean? She learns so much about herself. Like you said, she, she amends for her mistakes. She's like, Oh gosh, I upset that person. I need to make up for it. Um, She's not selfish all the way through. She is privileged, but she's not cruel with that. She she wants to be a good person. Do you know what I mean? These people around her mean a lot to her. They are her world. Um, And the fact that she knows she's privileged and she doesn't use that against anybody. She doesn't. Not like uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, for instance. Right. Or even Caroline Bingley. Oh, gosh, yeah, of course. She's the most obvious one, isn't she? Right. It's the most bizarre thing. And, and she's not even, yeah. you know, old money. She's new money. And she's still yeah. <laughs> stuck up her own bum. It's ridiculous. I know. I know. It's, and then you've got Miss Bates. Her heart is in the right place of, I want to say almost people pleasing, just trying to be that, you know, she's so open to make conversation. And I guess that it's borderline loneliness as well. I know she's got her mother, but her mother's quite old. <laughs> her mother's mute. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that she she has Jane as well, but only from letters. That the fact that she receives letters, and and then obviously even when Jane oh. arrives, she's so distant because well, obviously we find out later it's because she's engaged to Frank, and Frank's been so awful to her. I, know. <laughs> I think I'd lock myself in my room as well. I actually found this version, despite the fact that yes, yeah, she has to be really quiet with everything. I found her more open and happier than other versions. I don't know what it was. I don't know if that was the actor's choice or the director's choice, but I definitely thought that this version of Jane Fairfax, I think, think she was more amiable than than maybe the other ones. We get to know Jane better in this version, I'd say. We get more I time agree. with her. I think she's yeah. very much brushed over in the 2021, almost like a you know a fourth character. She, she's not up there on the list. Yeah. She's very much almost minor. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in this one, I think she is an important character, which I think makes the storyline with her and Frank, obviously the secrecy and then the exposure much more powerful because you're like, oh my gosh, what? (laughs) Obviously we both know the story already, but I can imagine if you watched it and you didn't, you'd be so 
I can't I mean I wish I could read it again for the first time like if I could erase my memory I was thinking to feel that shock (laughs) exactly I I've felt the exact same way when I was watching this version it's funny when you you know a story and you know what's going to happen but at the same time you you want to watch it afresh without knowing anything to have that same reaction you had done the first time yeah if we could discuss the nightly Emma proposal maybe just compare it to like other adaptations yeah proposals in uh, the the Austin world they're always it's never exactly romantic per se especially with the 2020 version that with the whole nosebleed situation oh awful I'm, I'm like, really opposed to blood it really freaked me out I, I, I was like oh no I hate blood I watch Austin because I hate blood and there is no blood in Austin no what is this no well the fact that that happened in that version um I did sit there questioning going I don't remember that in the book I don't remember that was definitely not in the book and I was sat there with my friend and watching it we're going oh you know everyone I think if people have read the book and know Emma that the version, um, the most recent version, it was quite shocking. But then again, I guess with Hollywood, they want to have that big shock factor. Shock factor. Yeah, <laughs> just to give it that extra spice. But does does it need spice? I the don't know. That, that was weird to me. It was. <laughs> it, I didn't particularly um, take to that myself. I'm not too bad with blood, but when it came to that one, it was just a bit oh okay so we're going down that route that's romantic fine then again I don't think any it's all very just oh this is how I feel and I think it's almost quite real yes oh especially with this one when he's like chasing her and she's like please don't tell me don't tell me because she thinks he's gonna say he loves Harriet (laughs) yeah it's it's all very real and with proposals you think it's all Sage again trumpets and all that to be fair though my engagement was how it happened was very romantic and it was very much on the spot but with the as far as I'm aware the Austin proposals are just very okay this is how I feel this one they're like in the garden and basically chasing each other around the garden is there trying to express their feelings while also and while Emma doesn't want to be hurt by knowing that he doesn't love her and you've got all the the confusion as to who has feelings for who. And the fact that, uh, like I said earlier with Emma, she she has a very slow realisation of the fact that she does have feelings for George. I think there's something a little bit awkward about Johnny Lee Miller's when he's proposing. Like, Knightley's being so sure it's of himself. In this one, he's a little bit awkward. He's kind of like looking down at the ground and she's like... I think all of them are actually awkward in their own right. It makes me wonder what was Regency courting like right I actually think most proposals were just a conversation like I don't think there were massive gestures of I'm proposing to you right now I think they were just I like you I want to marry you will you accept me (laughs) yes or a no Uh, and if you're a clergyman just don't don't (laughs) don't bother Christ no (laughs) don't take any advice from an Austin clergyman on how to how to propose Oh, oh dear. you've got to love them for that though you've got to love them for that I love the scene when she hides behind the bush when she sees him coming out the house and she's there behind this like bush like oh my gosh I don't want him to see me and it's like he's going to see you yeah he's gonna see you like it's so obvious um but also the complication between Knightley thinking Emma was in love with Frank and it's her over that and Emma thinking that Knightley's in love with Harriet and then at the end it's 
them coming together and going, this is true, this isn't true, we like each other. And it's just getting rid of all that unknown. I think that's what I love. Then you've got obviously the um, the proposal where there's there's that vulnerability, I guess. Yeah. And, and it is a vulnerable thing, isn't it? When you open yourself up to somebody and you admit feelings for for the other person and then you do have that underlying fear of do they feel the same way about me have I have I got this completely wrong and then you've got that euphoric feeling of yes like this this is this is us we are we are meant to be together and how happy they look at the end as well I love Um, it that he takes her to the seaside I just love it's just and the fact that she's never been anywhere else other than her hometown that's yeah yeah, the fact that she's been there since birth and even when she's asked by Frank about Weymouth like have you ever been to Weymouth and she's like no no I haven't because he compliments her saying that she's so well-rounded I think Mr Knightley knows that's an insecurity for her as well that she's not traveled and I think that's so nice Mm -hmm. like he he's the one that like says about Box Hill and then done well before that and then the seaside at the end of the adaptation it's like you can tell he don't want to absolutely yeah he sees that that's a weakness for her that she knows that other people have traveled to her at her age and she hasn't but he wants to give her that opportunity to not feel like she's missing out on something I just love that yeah so I think we could probably wrap it up there. I mean, that's a good good note to end on, isn't it? The proposal. And I've, I've really enjoyed so having you on. It's been it's been so nice to just, you know, chat chat about Emma and particularly, you know, the, the 2009 adaptation, um, which is my favourite. It's just been, it's it's refreshing to be able to have a conversation like this. Thank you very much. I'm very grateful. No, of course. I'm sure you'll be on again for, for it to yes, discuss please. something else. Another topic. I'd love, to. I'd love to. Let me know anytime. I'd be more than happy to. It'd be a delight. So where can everybody find you? Like, what's the best place? Your blog? Do you want to, do you want to let people know? Yeah. So uh, Instagram is the best place. I'm more active on Instagram, just at Mrs. E's Luxuries. And I have my website, mrseesluxuries.co.uk. So you can find me there. Mrs. E's Luxuries TikTok going because everybody's raving about TikTok. So I'm giving I'm giving that a go. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So I, I will obviously let you know is. No, of course. And I'll just, I'm going to put every episode on my uh, website as well. And I'll just link you know, where people can find you on there. So it's it's easy Amazing. to access. But yeah, thanks Lovely. so much for joining me. No, I've loved it. Thank you so much.